I haven't recorded a podcast for a while, but today it is well worth listening to as I am talking with Matt and Aaron from the Pickleball Clinic, which is one of the largest Facebook groups, and they put out some terrific video content. But I think what everybody will want to hear from them today is about speed ups. We go into a deep dive on a topic I really haven't talked a whole lot about recently, but it's becoming more and more important to the game. So let's get to the intro to hear from Matt and Aaron. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I would like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire podcast, Matt and Aaron from the Pickleball Clinic. How are you doing today, guys? Doing great. Yeah, How are doing you? well. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. I'm doing good, too. I'm going to be heading out to play some pickleball here soon, so happiness uh, awaits. But anyways, I haven't done a podcast for a while, but you guys have definitely been on my radar for a while, and I do like to normally start the podcast off a little bit talking about your pickleball journey, when you started, how long ago that was, and how you two met. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I just, I, a random idea I had I wanted to mention first was that I was wondering, Pickleball Fires, interesting name of a podcast. What I was thinking, what is the backstory? Where, is that, where did that begin? And I, I, I came up with a theory myself. You can maybe confirm or deny later whether this is true, but I realized Pickleball Fire is really synonymous with Pickleball's growth right now. Pickleball is a fire. It's rapidly growing. It's spreading. It's infecting people's lives in a beautiful way. And it's it's just infectious. And like a fire can consume a building in, in a matter of minutes, Pickleball consumes lives in a matter of seconds from when you pick up a paddle to essentially this realizing the rest of your life is now going to be based around this plastic ball that has just done so much for so many. Not sure if that was the why the name of the podcast was created, but just an interesting idea I had about maybe the backstory of Pickleball Fire, which you're doing a great job with. So I appreciate you having us on and we're, we're really glad to be here. Yes. And and thank you so much for that. Actually, ironically enough, I had never heard of Pickleball till 2018. And I have to say, in 2018, I really don't think Pickleball was on fire. But that's when I got the website up and uh, the podcast started in 2020, which is probably about when it started to get on fire. So I was lucky my timing was good. And uh, yeah, I, I love your theory. But anyways, tell me, tell me guys about you, how you guys got started. Okay, I'll, I'll give a little bit of a, a spiel on sort of the backstory. And then I'll kind of Matt will take it from there. We met in middle school playing tennis, kind of been just been good friends since then playing tennis together, started giving tennis lessons actually in high school, um, just doing our own private lessons. We always kind of dreamt about having a camp or something bigger. Unfortunate COVID situation did bring positive to the lives of some, which to us, junior year of college, no internships after everything was canceled. And we said, okay, let's, let's try this camp that we'd always been joking about started a tennis camp, totally blew up because everything indoors was, was completely canceled. And that really created first serve tennis. It was a, a tennis Academy that still lives today. We teach a thousand kids and adults per year, a really amazing team of coaches. We're based in Montclair, New Jersey, which is our hometown. And we, Graduated college two years later, continued growing that full time. But I'll back up very, very quickly to freshman year of college at University of Maryland. While Matt was over playing D1 college tennis over at Holy Cross, I was at University of Maryland, first night of club tennis. I met a kid named Ben, very nice guy, and I told the story a couple of times. It's just kind of an interesting intro to pickleball for me. Ben and I became very, very good friends playing ping pong every single week. And 
couple months into school, he said, hey, I started playing pickleball. I'm pretty good. You should try it. I said, sounds really weird. I don't know about it, man. And then he's like, okay. He's a really humble guy. He was like, no worries. It's fine. A year later, I realized my friend Ben is, is number one in the world. I was like, what? And so this is Ben Johns, who has just now really changed the game and is still building the game. And I was naive. It took him four years to convince me to play. I did not play. He started a club at Maryland. I never even tried it. I said, let's just keep playing ping pong and tennis. I have no interest in pickleball. Finally, I tried it senior year when he was already kind of gone doing tournaments. Got addicted. Really, Matt and I started playing together. And as we started building our academy, right once we graduated college, we also started playing pickleball. Immediately got really into tournaments. Now we're playing 5-0 pro tournaments and getting traveling around the country. We started teaching pickleball under our tennis academy, which we very soon broke off to be Montclair Pickleball, a completely separate academy, which from a bunch of things, from our marketing to our incredible team of coaches, we decided needed to really be a bigger entity than it already was. We expanded our academy to three different locations around New Jersey, Bergen County, New Jersey, and Atlantic County. Some incredible coaches running that. Shout out to Alex Sipkowski, who's who's running Atlantic County, Eric Cutson, who helps with Bergen County. And that now is something that has turned into even something greater. We have a 12-court facility. It's going to be the largest indoor pickleball-only facility in New Jersey, which is going to be taking the place of our home base Montclair location. That'll be ready in the next um, month, actually. And along the lines of when we started building Montclair Pickleball out a couple of years ago, we also said, let's do something bigger. Let's affect and grow this sport on a national and global scale. Let's create a, a brand that is more digital than just physical. And we started a Facebook group. We know Pickleball lives and breathes on Facebook. Let's start the Pickleball Clinic. It's now the largest online community, the place to really talk, engage, learn anything you want to do about Pickleball with others. It's the place to go, the Pickleball Clinic on Facebook. We then built out Instagram. We built out a newsletter, which is, I believe, the second largest now. We have people like Ben Johns on the newsletter as having a column and incredible writers. And then we have a, a newsletter, we have an Instagram, and we're building that out to be the community for the 95 plus percent, the people that just love pickleball for pickleball. Of course, we interview and we do things with pros, but we really focus on just the sport itself. And now I'm realizing I just really talk too too much and too long. So I'm going to step back. And uh, that's pretty much the spiel. That's the, the, that's the story. But uh, I... I I'm sure maybe I missed some, some parts there too. No, that's that's pretty much the, the whole story in terms of what we do. I think one of the most incredible things is when, when we started playing pickleball, we had no idea what a large role was going to play in our lives and what a large role was going to begin to play in the lives of others. I think that that's one of the most amazing things is how fast the sport has grown and just all the, these different things that we're doing. It probably seems like it seems overwhelming for us at times. We're like, how like our head, our hands are in all these different places in pickleball, but um, it's just so much fun. We're loving it. It's just so much a great sport to be involved in, great community. And we get to meet so many awesome people and then get on awesome podcasts like this. So it's it's really well, thank, it's really amazing. Yeah, thank you very much. And you're in New Jersey. I'm in Connecticut. So I, I'm hoping you're gonna you're gonna be heading this way with uh, some of your programs and clinics and as you develop. But anyways, I was gonna ask you because I did see one of your videos where you were playing Ben and Colin Johns. And I'm like, wow, how in the world did these guys get to play Ben and Colin? So, okay, now I know the answer to that question. But how come there wasn't, actually, that was a great video. Probably wasn't quite the result you guys were looking for in terms of how you fared. But I was surprised that everybody in the gym wasn't watching. Yeah, so that was that was actually, we the Pickleball Clinic and Montclair Pickleball, the partnership with Yola. So there's 
they had a release, a media release day for the Perseus and the Scorpius. And we actually filmed that video towards the end when everybody already got to meet Ben and Colin and, and hit some balls with them. So they weren't they weren't as excited as we were at that point to get to play him. But uh, I'll tell you, five points against the best players in the world is, is uh, we were we were more than happy with that result. So, yeah, that that was cool. You guys were on fire to start that. And uh, in terms of the the pickleball clinic, I mean, to to build the largest Facebook group of pickleball players is is really amazing. When did you actually start that? Because I remember a few other forms and groups before yours, but now you, how do you guys just kind of blow up? I think there's a, a couple factors. We have a, a couple other really great people involved in what, in the pickleball clinic and what we've been trying to do. We started it, I think it's now about a couple of years ago. And of course we were a baby compared to other groups when we started, but a couple of principles allowed us to really scale the group rapidly. One is that we had a true intention of trying to grow the sport. It wasn't about us or about money. It was literally just, we want to build a nice community, a Facebook group, because we've done it for our tennis academy. We have First Serve Tennis Family. It's a group with like just 500 people of like some of the people of our academy that will ask questions or we'll talk about, oh, can I play with anybody? We kind of wanted to take that on a bigger scale. So one of the one of the important principles was just really trying to grow the sport and do good for the world of pickleball. Two was that we didn't want to silence any voices. If you want to talk about this or that, as long as it's nothing super hurtful or or an advertisement, we want to let you have a voice. And people realize that, that this is the place to come and talk freely about anything. Sometimes people might ask a question as a beginner and there might be some negative comments, which we actually work really hard to try and mitigate because we want people to feel comfortable talking about anything. And the third aspect is there are some incredible groups out there ran by great people, but they're just forums. They're just groups. I think we're more of a community because as community leaders, we're pushing helpful content into the group consistently. So while we're, we're a forum, we also are consistently producing content. Matt does tip of the day every single day, just incredible blurbs from a paragraph to many paragraphs on how to get better and little tips that people aren't thinking about. We put in debates and polls and highlights and interviews and questions and thoughts from tournaments and pro players we have that are putting content in. So it's a consistent flow of content that we know they'll like, as well as this community where they can they can flourish and learn about the game. And uh, I just think once people realize that, they invite their friends, things like giveaways. There's just a rapid growth factor to an exciting community. And I think everybody realizes it. And we've been just lucky to have such great people around us. And I think it's resulted in, in what we what we see today. So, Matt, let me ask you, what was your tip of the day, either today or yesterday? So today's today's hasn't gone up yet. Yesterday's was on. I don't remember yesterday's actually now off the top of my head, but the day before was about moving your feet in the wind. So that was actually one that uh, we had. We were teaching a clinic um, last week and it was a really windy day. It was probably the windiest day of the whole summer out here. And we were warming our dinks up. And everybody was mishitting dinks and they were saying, oh, my God, the ball keeps moving. It's so windy. It's, it's so hard to, to hit my, get my dinks in the kitchen or hit them over the net. So I, I stopped everybody. I said, all right, guys, look, so here's the thing. When it's windy, you got to keep your feet moving. The ball is going to move. It's going to come over the net and it's going to move to a different spot than where, than where you're anticipating it. So you got to keep your feet active. You got to take more steps than you normally would. So we went back out there. The footwork came up. People started moving a little bit more. The dinks got more consistent. So. That was the uh, the inspiration from one of the tips. And then in terms of the tips of the day, that's that's usually what I like to try to do is I'll, I'll kind of draw upon things that we're seeing when we're teaching in our clinics and then put them out to the rest of the group. I think that's what people I and mean, people tend to 
enjoy them and, and engage with them. And I think one of the reasons why they, they tend to be helpful is because those are things that we're actually seeing on the ground when we're teaching. We're just trying to pass that knowledge along to everybody else in the community that's not in person with us, but is able to log in online and, and try to grow their game that way. I love that. That That's a great tip. I know when I play in Cape Canaveral, I, I usually go down there for a month or two each year. And uh, it's almost always windy because the courts are literally a quarter of a mile from the from the beach. And uh, I will definitely remember that tip as I continue to play there, hopefully in November. But one of the other things that I saw you have done recently from an instructional viewpoint is you do actually have some really great YouTube videos out there, whether you're interviewing pros or you're playing Ben and Colin, but you've also got some great instructional videos. And it, it's really interesting. I've I've done over the last, eh, I guess, since 2020, so maybe over the last three to four years, I've done over 200 podcasts. And I realized when I looked at your videos, there was one thing that I've never really covered kind of in depth. And that was actually about speed ups. Uh, ironically enough, I'm like, I don't know how I've done that. And I, I'm like, wow, we've got to talk about this on the show today because you did a, a really great video. It wasn't a really long video, but I, I loved it because the the content was was just perfect. So you know, starting from, I know the Pickleball Fire audience, variety of skill levels. So first of all, just describe what is a speed up? Yeah. So a speed up is when you're taking a, a dink or a volley. So you're standing at the kitchen line and you're taking a shot either off the bounce or out of the air. And instead of hitting it back as a dink, you're initiating an attack. So you're trying to hit it hard, your opponent. Maybe you're trying to win the rally off that shot, but most of the time you're trying to set yourself up for an easier put away on the next one. And you had mentioned in the video that you think that speed ups are one of the most misused shots. What does that mean? So what we see a lot as coaches and as players is players until they get to a higher level typically are not speeding up at the right time or hitting their speed ups well. So what I mean by that is if you're playing at the 3-0, 3-5, maybe even 4-0 level, you're going to be able to get away with just speeding up random balls, speeding up balls from below your knees. And then maybe your opponents just don't have the hand speed or if you're hitting a good spot on your opponent, they're just going to straight up miss it. So you get away with it. And what happens is it, it turns into a very bad habit where players lose patience, they they won't think for long enough, and they'll just resort to speeding up at, at, at random opportunities without having a, a good thought process behind it. And that's going to make them hit a wall. So you're not going to be able to really get past the 4-0 level if you're not speeding up at the, at the right times and using it right. And then sort of on, on that same kind of note, one thing I always like to, to preface with when I, when I talk about speed ups is I don't think you need speed ups at all to reach a high level of the game. You do not need to know how to speed up the ball and off the bounce, I should say, not out of the air. You need to be able to speed up out of the air at any level, but you don't need to be able to speed up off the bounce until you're, I would even say, past the 5-0 level. I mean, I've won 5-0 tournaments. Literally, Aaron can attest to this. I don't speed up off the bounce. I've won 5-0 tournaments by having one speed up off the bounce. I'll speed up out of the air, but until you get to a certain level, you can just dink and players will eventually pop the ball up. Now that we're playing some of these pro tournaments and, and playing at like a five, five plus level, that's where the speed up off the bounce kind of really comes into play. And that's where you're going to see it more where you need to use it because players can dink all day. But it's very, very important if you want to really improve your game and play the right way and get to the highest level possible that you're being very smart with your speed ups. So it's not to say it's not useful. It's a very useful shot, but you should just be making sure that you're using good fundamentals and you're use, making good decisions when you choose to speed up. That is really great advice. and. 
ironically, I never sped up the ball either off the bounce until this year. And when I started practicing it, I've got a, a drill group. We drill a couple times a week. And it was when I first started, I was just awful when I had never done it before. And, and now I'm getting a little bit better, a little bit better, but I can definitely see what you mean. I mean, it's really important to be able to speed up off that volley. But even even some of the pros, especially some of the women's pros, don't necessarily speed up off the bounce a whole lot. So I, I think the the big question then is, when do you want to hit a speed up? What's the right situation? Yeah, so typically the, the right situation is, so there are a couple factors you want to look out for. So the first is you want to make sure that the dink is high. So we usually say if you're hitting from below your knees, never speed it up. In an ideal world, you want to look for one that a ball that bounces and comes up to close to the level of the net. So a dead dink that's a little bit high. So it's coming right to you and it's bouncing up close to the level of the net. So that way, if you hit it straight, you're pretty much going to get it over the net. If you're hitting a speed up from below your knees where you're hitting up on it, it's going to be rising as it crosses the net, which means it's going to come up to and meet your opponent around their shoulder level. So they can just hit it straight down. Or if you hit it hard, they can just get out of the way, shoulder high, let it fly, and it's going to go out. Also, you want to make sure that you're in the right position. So you want to be careful that when you're speeding up, you're stationary. What a lot of players do is they'll speed up when they're out of position. So they'll be moving to the ball. Their opponent might hit an aggressive dink, even if it's a little bit high, but they're moving to it and their feet are active while they're actually um, uh, executing the shot. And that's going to cause them either to miss or not be in position for the counterattack when the speed up comes back to them. So we want to make sure that we're stationary and we want to make sure that we're hitting speed ups off of balls that are high. So we're not speeding up from below our knees. We're speeding up from waist level or above. Now, as you're in a dink rally and you do get that high ball, when you hit that speed up, I think some of the pros are, are very good at at disguising that. I mean, is that really a part of the strategy too, even at the at the 4-0 level, we'll say? 100%, 100%. You want to make sure that your opponents don't know that you're speeding up. Sometimes they'll recognize it from the ball quality, but at the high level, the the backswing and the preparation for a dink and a speed up look almost identical. Even at the 4-0 level, like you mentioned, it, it's it's still it's very, very useful to be able to speak to disguise your, your speed ups. And a lot of players are doing it. You want to keep that backswing to a minimum. You want to tell yourself, all right, I'm going to hit a dink and then at the last minute, apply a little extra force to it so you can uh, activate the speed up. So you really want to try to disguise it. Because if your opponent doesn't know where it doesn't know that it's coming, you're going to catch them off guard. They might be off their on their heels leaning back a little bit, and they're not going to be ready for it. If they're ready for it, it's, it's easy to counterattack. But if you're not ready for it, then it, it could be a winner. And so I think the the third point in that video was around what kind of happens next. After you hit the speed up, what should you be looking for? You got to be ready for the next shot. You got to be ready for the counterattack. That's always, and Aaron actually can, can jump in here. Aaron is one of the best players I've ever met in terms of counterattacks and winning hand fights because he's always ready for the next shot. So whenever you're speeding up, you got to be you, you can't expect to win on the speed up. You have to be ready for the ball to come back. At the higher levels too, you can start to anticipate which side of your body it's going to come to based on where you're speeding up to, but you always got to be ready there. Yeah, that's those are very kind of words. There're definitely a lot of players out there that can defend speed ups better than me, but I do think it's one of my strengths and I give credit to one of our coaches Justin Dantennis who um coined it really basically what he said was anytime he's playing against somebody up at the kitchen, 
he's expecting every single ball they have to be sped up right at him. And I took that and then coined it as playing paranoid. I'm always expecting the ball to be sped up right at me. That way, when they do speed up at me, I'm ready to defend it. People do a little bit too much on their their defense where they'll try and extend their paddle out in front of them. But really, if someone's going to speed up at you, there's enough power already coming at you for you to be able to counter with a nice punch. You don't need any backswing. You don't need any follow through. You want to get your paddle out in front of you ready, especially if somebody's speeding up at you down the line right in front of you. 90% of the time, that's going to come to your body area, which you can take as a backhand. So as they're getting ready to speed up, which you can judge by, one, the height of of your dink. Two, you can see where their paddle is facing. And three, you can see their arm and the direction they're actually swinging in. When you know that speed up is coming, you can actually start to cheat backhand. And once that ball comes to you, just a slight, basically high five with your knuckles forward just to counter that ball nice and easy. You don't have to play paranoid, but I think if you do, it's, it's helpful since it's better to be safe than be sorry. And the, the important thing to note, too, is that if you're in, into watching pro pickleball, you should watch how many points are won on the first speed up. And it is almost zero. The pros are always initiating firefights when they're hitting their speed ups because they're ready for that ball to come back. They're ready for the attack in the first place. And then they just go back and forth with the hands. So you always got to be ready for the ball to come back no matter what. Point's not over until the ball bounces twice or hits your opponent or goes out. And before we leave the the topic of speed ups, I I just wanted to see what you had to say about this. One of the things that I found when I first started trying to hit them off the bounce was I just flat out was hitting the ball way too hard. I mean, from a a power level perspective, would you say it's like 30%, 40%? I mean, kind of where, how hard are you actually hitting that ball? Yeah, I think it it, part of that part of that depends on how high you're hitting the shot or how high the bounce is. Because if you're hitting a a, a ball that really bounces up high over the level of the net, and you can hit that a lot harder than one that you're speeding up from, let's say, like thigh level. I would say a good speed up could be anywhere from 30 to 50%. It doesn't have to be hard. What's more important is the placement. If you're hitting a a shot that's 60% or even 100%, let's say, and it goes right into your opponent's body, you're putting it right on their paddle. It's coming right back to you, and it's probably going to be come back as hard as you hit it. So what you want to do is you want to pick different spots. So the I like to describe is there's six spots you can aim for on your opponent, and you want to pick you want to use their body as your target. So you can aim for their dominant shoulder, which would force a chicken wing or cause someone to jam themselves if they try to hit a forehand there. You can aim for their chest, which for players that don't so there's some players out there don't defend their body well, so they might try to go for a forehand in their chest instead of a backhand, which can be tough to hit. You can aim for their non-dominant shoulder for players that have a weak backhand. And then you have those same three spots right at the at the hip level. So you can aim for the dominant hip to force someone to jam their elbow into their side or a chicken wing. You can aim right for the belly button, which again, for someone that has a weak back that doesn't defend their body well or has a weak backhand is going to work. Or you can go for the non-dominant hip, which for someone who really favors their forehand, that's going to be a good spot to hit because you know their backhand is going to be weaker. So you always want to pick one of those six spots and test them out. So you want to be analytical about it. You want to say, all right, the first time I'm going to speed up, I'm going to go for the dominant shoulder. It's usually a good place to start. Depending on their reaction, if they miss it or give you an easy one on the on the counterattack, they give you an easy next shot, then say, all right, I'm going to keep going there until they prove to me that they can hit the ball, that they can actually effectively defend against that. Once they do, if they defend well off the first one or if they eventually get it, then try another spot. Try going for the, the non-dominant shoulder to see how they respond. Maybe because they're so used to the dominant side, now the non-dominant side, they're a little bit slower there. 
you never know, but it's always good to test those six spots and then make note of what what's working and what's not. And I think that's really the key to speeding up well. All right. Well, great tips. That was even more insight than I think your video, not to say your video wasn't great, totally different context, but well, well great. I really appreciate having you guys on the Pickleball Fire podcast today. In, anything else we should know about Matt and Aaron and the Pickleball Clinic and uh, also Montclair? I think we're just, we're blessed to be a part of, of what would truly is a revolution. I don't think anybody that, or most people that get into pickleball don't realize the, the positive toll it's going to take on their life. And for us, I do think, even though it seems overwhelming and we have this and this, and we don't necessarily sleep and we love everything we do. I I still think we're just getting started. So, I mean, I, I think things to be involved in and look out for are the pickleball clinic this Facebook group, which is really a place for all the newsletter where, I mean, there's, there's maybe one other newsletter out there that I think is that I can really, really attest to the quality of, but I would say be a part of the newsletter. It's, it's going to be really valuable coaching interviews, really great news stories. And then sure there's Instagram. And then, Hey, if you live in the tri-state area, or if you ever anticipate traveling in the tri-state area, Montclair Pickleball will give you an experience that frankly, we can say you won't forget because we have the highest level coaching staff in the tri-state area. And as far as I'm concerned, anywhere out there, we have over five, no, I'm sorry, probably seven or eight, five O level players. And growing, that list is growing. And growing. We just added a couple more. And so that's, we're really focused on the highest level coaching uh, quality possible. And now this new 12 core facility going to be in Northern New Jersey is going to be something to check out. So We'll see what else happens over the next couple of years, few years. There's always, I feel like, new things evolving, but you know, we're just going to be here having fun, having a good time. Feel free to always reach out to us with any like thoughts anybody has, thoughts, suggestions, wanted to be involved. We, we just love connecting with good people in the pickleball world, in and outside of the pickleball world. So we're, we appreciate you having us on and uh, bringing us into your pickleball journey, and we're excited to see where ours takes us. All right. Well, I can't wait. I will definitely keep an eye on you. And thank you so much today, Matt and Aaron, for being on the Pickleball Fire podcast. Thanks for having us. It's a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.